Hi, I'm Tristan Miller, and this is Positive and Negative, a podcast about mental health and the arts. Today on the program, I speak with Hemda, who is a podcaster and musician. We talk about her experience with depression and suicidality. Please do note that we really get in deep into a discussion about suicide, so if that is troubling or triggering for you, maybe wait till the next episode. Here she is talking about suicide as a concept. But otherwise, it it could just engulf you. I only, I don't know, a few years ago started, stopped thinking of suicide as an option. Really? Yeah, like just an option. I don't think I ever would have done it, to be honest. Like, I don't think that that's the level that I've gotten to, obviously, because I'm still here. But Mm -hmm. it was always like in my escape and you know I would fantasize on like being on an island by myself or just killing myself yeah. like it's just kind of an out you know <laughs> you can follow Chemda at at Chemda on Twitter you can always follow me at Tristan J. Miller 1 on the same place here's Chemda giving any sort of advice to those living with depression face it you mm. know and and tell someone because I think the the worst part is worrying alone so just if you can find a way to not worry alone, if you can tell um, a stranger, you know, in, in an anonymous room, or if you mm-hmm. can tell a therapist, because if you're just keeping that in, it'll seep out some other way, and that's going to be even worse. So be in communication about your feelings so you can have that language so that you can not grasp in the dark, but reach for something that you really want so that you can know what you want. Mm-hmm. Support for this podcast and others like it is made possible by Patreon.com. You can go to Patreon.com slash Tristan J. Miller and support us there. I'm going to be touring my one-man show about bipolar disorder to the Minnesota Fringe Festival starting now. As you listen to this on August 1st, 2019. If you're in the area, I'd love to see you in the audience. Stop by and say hi. Not during the show, though, please. All right, let's get to the interview. You're uh, a podcaster, but before that you were a musician, right? Or and you still are? Well, I um, I was pursuing singing. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I don't play any instruments, which mm-hmm. is, it makes it harder. Yeah. And uh, it, it makes me understand music less, but I did sing and I yeah. did some professional stuff. And then I got into podcasting, which no one expected at the yeah. time. It was 15 years ago. Wow. That is a while. Yeah. Uh, you started in 2005, right? Yes. How was it, as someone who has a Later Days podcast, <laughs> how was it there at the beginning when the Wild West was there? Well, nobody understood what it was. What's really cool about everybody knowing what a podcast is is not explaining your job. So I maybe, <laughs> you know, anywhere that you have small talk, like mm-hmm. maybe you're getting a haircut or maybe you just met someone and it's like, what do you do for a living? And you mm-hmm. say podcast. And... This is really weird because 15 years ago, even working on, quote, on the internet was a big deal. (laughs) So um, not only was I explaining what a podcast was, I was describing that I work on the internet, that Uh computers is like a big part of my life Mm -hmm. in a space and time where that was very nerdy. So I think if you didn't know what a podcast was, which was most of the people that I was encountering, then it was, oh, you're in your mom's basement, you know, doing sure. some ham radio thing, very cute, and their eyes would glaze over because it's too internet-y, it's too nerdy, it's mm-hmm. too, it sounds very inside baseball. Mm-hmm. And so it's really weird to now watch, 
you know, regular shows on regular stations, making references to podcasts, making mm-hmm. fun of podcasts, and no one's questioning what it is. It's just in the atmosphere. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I feel like once Zach Braff is on a sitcom about something, it's mainstream, yeah? Yeah, I mean, even yeah. a, a long time ago, Family Family Guy, which I just realized I haven't watched in years, Yeah, they made one of my first podcast jokes that I heard, and I was like, mm-hmm. wow, if Family Guy is saying the word podcast, yeah. we are coming. <laughs> And you mentioned a bunch of technical things. How was it, how was that transition from like being a singer to figuring out all this kind of intricate stuff? Well, when I first started podcasting, it wasn't for me. Yeah. It was actually for Keith. Yeah. We do the Keith and the Girl show. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it's not, it doesn't have my name in it is because I didn't really, I wasn't doing a podcast. It was this guy that I was dating who was doing mm-hmm. it and he asked to, for me to sit in the second seat just so he has someone to bounce ideas off of. and. I was hesitant because he was so open and so mm-hmm. full disclosure about his life with no embarrassment of things that, you know, normally we would kind of, you know, you know how podcasting is yeah. now, everyone's sharing everything. But at the time he had an unofficial blog and he would just write every day and mm-hmm. all of his experiences and how he felt about people with their first and last name. Wow. And yeah. And I don't, I didn't think I was ready and I didn't want to. Um, stop him from doing that because it was one of the things that I really liked about him. Whether I liked mm-hmm. what he was saying or not, I liked the expression of, well, that's how I felt, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, it's called Keith and the Girl because when he was writing his blog, I was like, you can write about me. I don't want to stop you from writing, but I'd rather not be, you know, if you search for Chemda, you find the Keith Malley version of Chemda. So yeah. he started calling me the girl just uh-huh. to kind of, he used the girl a lot. And mm-hmm. then also... Um, Keith and Chemda doesn't, I don't want to explain that to me. I don't want to do it. It's, yeah. So, you know, a, a lot of feminists get me on the name of yeah. the show. And I'm like, well, it would be more feminist of you to ask me about it than to go to Keith and say, why did you keep it down? Yeah. That was unfortunate. Um, so he was doing all, like, the producing and all the technical stuff then? Well, yeah, I guess yeah. so. And he still does. Mm-hmm. He, um, We both went to Guitar Center together because that's uh-huh. the only place that you can get yeah. the knobs and the things. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that stuff. You know, anytime I was recording, there was an engineer and oh. it was, you know, a, a produced thing that I just came in and did the vocal part of. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe I know how to place the mic or <laughs> I know that we need pop filters. But yeah. I did not know. He has such a better ear for it. So... We just kind of learned, we just kind of messed with it, and then in the first week of podcasting, people like the content, but they'll complain about the sound if you have bad sound. Absolutely. So, so someone was like, you need a compressor, and blah, blah, and we're like, okay, you don't have to get mad, we'll get a compressor. <laughs> we didn't know. Yeah, yeah, that is one of the most unfortunate things. I've started so many podcasts from the beginning, I'm like, oh, this is unlistenable. Yeah, and it's really important because it's in people's headphones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do you have there's there's a lot of this talk of a parasocial um, relationship? Do you know? No, what, what okay. is that? Basically, it's the idea that you feel like you're more connected to someone, like a celebrity or a person of note. Mm. Um, and specifically with podcasting, because I feel like it's very intimate because it's just you listening in your headphones and it's kind of private. Um, that kind of gets intensified where someone feels like you know them. Have you experienced that from your audience members of like... Yeah, I have, yeah. but they, they're they so careful about it. And yeah. I'm like, no, man, if you... Because <laughs> one time years ago, we had a, a live show in Boston and somebody asked me if I took my birth control pill yet today. <laughs> and I was like, thank you, because I did mention on the show that I forget. So mm-hmm. that was their reference. Or people will come up and say, you know, I've been listening for years, but I don't want to... 
I don't want to reference the show. I don't want to act like such and such. I'm like, reference the show. I said it on there. You know me better than my parents do. So mm-hmm. let's start from there. Let's not pretend yeah. like you don't have years of listening to me and you've retained some of it. I like that you know me. Mm-hmm. I like that, you know, nothing that I put out there is is something that I don't want to talk about. So I welcome the, however you, however much you think you know me, we can start from there. Uh-huh. That makes sense. How has the audience changed from 2005 to now? We are lucky to kept a bunch of the core audience mm-hmm. so they are like family now and then the new ones um i don't know it's just exciting to to get new people because we know like as a 15 year old podcast maybe you're a little intimidated by starting we, we do five shows a week you know all that mm-hmm. stuff so it's more like yay somebody must have told you about this or you found it somewhere and then it, it stuck with you long enough that now you're writing me and saying that you're listening that's mm-hmm. I don't know how they've changed except for maybe you don't have to this is actually a big deal before you were probably more tech savvy if you were listening to a podcast you probably were more on a more intricate version of the internet where now it's a quick search and it's a podcast i think if you knew about podcasting when we first started you were you were called a nerd probably mm-hmm. you know because we were <laughs> our audience were so even if you weren't a nerd or whatever nerd means now, I think nerd now means cool person. Yeah. <laughs> it was more tech-oriented. Um, and has the, like, there's a lot, let me take this question again. Um, there's been a shift of kind of the tone of the internet these days. Has that changed how your audience interacts with you? Um, I don't, let's see. I think because we've been more open, our audience has been open back. Okay. And I think podcasting is getting people to be more open I think um, the the way people are sharing their quote secrets is making a lot of stigmas you know a little more relaxed you know embarrassment is down and I think like when we take embarrassment and stigma and like shame off of a lot of things they just are things that we do Mm -hmm. so it's weird the things that we want to make fun of ourselves and other people about when when somebody that you've been listening to for a while says it and you didn't think they were a freak before, so why are they a freak now? It's it's a relief. So the more we talk to each other about these weird little secrets that we have, the less people will have to come out as gay or yeah. like, you know, make a big production out of things that are just their everyday life and our yeah. everyday life. And I think the fact that podcasting has grown so much shows how much we relate to each other yeah. on just a basic level. Yeah. That makes sense, yeah. Um, you have, uh, you're doing five shows a week. That's a lot. At least. At yeah. least. How is that, like, how's that managing your time and so forth? Is it? I think I always had trouble yeah. managing time. I, I've usually worked in spaces that I really like working, so I'll work too much. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so in recent years, I found that, yes, working too much gives me a rush, but then it gives me the downside of it. And so now my whole goal is getting a balance of seeing my friends, getting mm-hmm. a balance of working, getting a balance of being by myself, um, going to whatever treatment I'm going to, you know, um, and the satisfied day is, oh, I did a couple hours of work, I mm-hmm. met someone for lunch, I bike ride to my next appointment, you know, and I, I took care of myself, I had a break, I bought the coffee because I felt like it, that's a really good day for me. That sounds like a good day. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you are Israeli, right? You were born in Israel? I was born in Israel, and I grew up in Queens in since Queens. I was four. That's 
What was that like? That's so foreign to me, <laughs> despite it being here. It's it's more like what was it like for my parents? I sure, think you know probably. because I don't remember when I was four, but um, you know your parents drill that in you your whole life. It's mm-hmm. like I brought you to this place to make you better. But only insinuating that you're getting worse and I shouldn't have brought you here and I shouldn't have allowed you around people or, you know, because they are very old school Middle Eastern. So Mm -hmm. the practices and their thought process is very old. And the fact that I am female makes it even older school. So that was really rough and the reason why we are estranged. Uh, Oh, I didn't know about that. How... Ooh, how do you feel about that? If you don't mind me asking. Not at all. It was... It's very painful. Um, it's a it's a thing that I needed to grieve because I I have brothers and they're in my brothers' lives and so I had to sort of like accept that I'm orphaned. Yeah. Um, while my parents were still right there, so yeah. they're attainable, but only if I react to life the way they want me to, which I know is just impossible. I've tried. Um, not so much adjusting myself, but I tried, um, like, quote, behaving as much as possible without losing myself. But mm-hmm. it's it's just not the behavior that I think I am comfortable with. I yeah. think it's very repressed. So they were always disappointed about, you know, where I want to go in life. Like, when I was singing, mm-hmm. I was on this amazing tour for Conjure One. I was fronting the band I was hired I was getting paid I was on a tour bus it was a 30-day tour every night a different city and you know these these songs that I really appreciated singing and um it was just this magical thing and I remember this is when um cell phones you would have to worry about how many minutes you're using because you're paying by the minutes and (laughs) I called my mother from the tour bus like mom I'm on this tour like you can't even believe it no one's gonna believe I was 23 years old and she's like oh when are you going to be done with this and get married and have babies? And I'm like, why am I calling you? (laughs) How did you bust my bubble so quickly? Yeah. Yeah, that, do you still find yourself trying to please, like, a version of your parents as you move? Like, you kind of mentioned, like, balancing it, but, like, even now, now that... I think that I'm always taking off layers. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that I need to stop thinking I'm nothing like my parents anymore because I always find residual things that look different because I'm responding different or the language is different, not even just the actual technical language, mm-hmm. but because, you know, I I speak for my I speak up for myself even as a woman and you wouldn't but I find that there's another layer. Oh, that is what my mother did. This is just the modern version of that or I am still responding to my father. But it's so much less now that it's just, you know, regular life finding out about yourself. You're always finding out things about yourself if you're looking. So it's more manageable now than mm-hmm. it was. I hope. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, it's always in hindsight that we find it. Yeah. So I'll tell you in a year. Okay, good. <laughs> well, we'll come back. We'll reconvene. Um, uh, how did you fall into singing? Where did that start? Um, well, I I always sang, but, yeah. it, but was, like, very shy about it in terms of, well, you know, people like me don't make money singing. That's like the cool people who mm-hmm. look like Madonna and sure. like are edgy and cool. And I'm just a a dork, but I really know how to sing. And mm-hmm. it would be great, but that's not even like in the realm of possibility because who becomes an artist? You know, yeah. it, it seems like this world that you're not into. And again, the internet didn't really exist. But when I was in college for the brief, 
brief little time I was in college, I saw this flyer to um, work with children as a way of making money. And I was like, well, I didn't know you could do that. So I started <laughs> working doing children's parties. And this is the weirdest thing. Like, having that weird a job where it's not nine to five, it makes the actual money that you should be making as whatever age you are with whatever time you're giving and it's silly and creative and people are wacky and I'm like oh there are other jobs that exist that I don't know and this is sort of creative so if I can do this as a job I don't have to find I couldn't find I don't have to find some normal job so I was like well if I could do this I could pursue singing and I just started looking in the back of newspapers and you know auditioning for anybody who said, you know, ethnically ambiguous <laughs> and like between 18 and 24, you know, yeah, what, yeah. How, how if they got close to describing who I am, I'm like, mm. I'm going there. Why'd you drop out of college? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know why I went to college to begin with. Okay. I, I went because <laughs> that's the next thing that you yeah. do and that's fine. And I was like failing the classes that I wasn't interested in because I just didn't do anything. And then I was getting A's in the classes there. You know, if I just sit there, I'll... I'll soak it in and I'll enjoy it. And then my brother attempted suicide oh and it seemed like this was happening just because I'm on some track. Like I am in college because I'm on some sort of track. I can't really focus that much anymore. So I don't know if I used it in, as an excuse or I needed a timeout, but I was like, mm, let me go manage a couple feelings yeah. and I'll be back. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, be back for what? <laughs> for what? You know, and that's yeah. at the time I, I, just started continue doing kids parties and that's mm-hmm. the weird thing I'm visiting my brother he was in the hospital for 40 days and uh, you know it's tried I loved we had such a good relationship he's fine now okay spoiler alert he's totally great now and, I'm glad to hear it yeah and uh, we we went through a lot but I, I think it was pretty incredible obviously but um so I would be crying on my way and then I would get to a kid's party where I'm yeah. the clown or Pocahontas or like whatever you want me to be. Mm-hmm. And it would just change my life because I love kids and, you know, you're sort of forced to kind of clean up a little bit. And I'm all into crying and stuff, but I could have remained in there. So it kind of broke that that deal mm-hmm. for me where it's like I'm just devastated all the time. Yeah. I had to give happiness to children. So I manifested it from a real happy place in me that I found. Yeah. Um, I work at a preschool, and I find the same thing helps. They are. I mean, I know some people yeah. don't like kids, and I totally get it. Oh, yeah. And I would not force this upon you, but if you like kids, and I don't even want kids, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't, I have no interest. I'm not going to have kids, but, man, when kids are around, they yeah. are fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was the experience with your brother attempting suicide like? Um, it was surprising because... He was, I mean, I had always thought of killing myself. <laughs> I say it so cavalier, but yeah. it was a thought process. It was just a regular thought process. Oh, yeah, so sure. I was used to it. Like, I knew how I would do it, but mm-hmm. we didn't, he meant it. He, yeah. He took the pills, and he happened to wake up three days later, oh. and we didn't know that. Um, but what he did was, at the time, he sent an email to his friend saying goodbye. Uh-huh. So we wouldn't have even known he attempted um, had she not gotten the email like three days out, maybe he woke up like a day or two later, but she got the email three days later because wow. again, it wasn't in a time where you were checking email. Yeah. And it was, uh, we're really grateful that she did say, because what are you supposed to do with that? She, yeah. you know, he was a teenager, she was a teenager and oh you don't really know. So it was, it, it scared 
the shit out of me because I just thought whenever somebody wasn't answering the phone, they were attempting suicide. So I had that like PTSD that I had to deal with. Um, And I didn't know my brother was so sad. Yeah. And I didn't know that he wanted out so bad. And and we were we were like best friends. So he made a videotape um, of his like confession of what was wrong, which I never watched. I just couldn't. But I was told that like he came into my room to say goodbye and then like went. And then I I looked back and I remember him saying goodbye. And that was so weird. It was really weird. And I didn't know how to deal with going into the I guess what maybe it was a rehab place or whatever. I didn't understand how to deal with it. And I I wish I knew then what I know now, although, you know, all is forgiven and times have changed, but you know, you kinda get scared of the person. You're afraid yeah. and you walk on eggshells and I think that's the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we did share some stories while he was in there and um I don't know, he it was hard because you can't control how people feel and what they're gonna do to themselves. So that lack of control took me some time to to get over. Yeah. Yeah. Um and so is it a whole family thing, do you think? I don't know. I've never heard my older brother think like that, and I don't think he does. And my parents don't talk about their health, let alone their mental health. Like, they won't even admit to diabetes. I don't know Mm -hmm. who has what. (laughs) I can't tell my doctors anything. They're like, what's your history? I'm like, put me down for everything because I don't know. Just in case. Yeah. (laughs) They just don't want to talk about it. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think now me and my brothers are pretty open. I think, Mm -hmm. like, no one's really thinking in that way. And um it's odd to say maybe we matured out of it or found because i think we're curious people so we are looking for ways to live and i think we found other motivations yeah um i mean i yeah i feel like every part of you changes as you get older including how you deal with depression um if you look at it yeah yeah but otherwise it, it could just engulf you i only i don't know a few years ago started stop thinking of suicide as an option really yeah like just an option i don't think i ever would have done it to be honest like i don't think that that's the level that i've gotten to be obviously because i'm still here but Mm -hmm. it was always like in my escape and you know i would fantasize on like being on an island by myself or just killing myself like it's just kind of an out you know (laughs) and uh it would be (laughs) pills because it's just a nice sleep and i don't have to Mm -hmm. You know, there's no blood involved and no, like, yeah, this trigger or, like, yeah. you know, hanging or something. All yeah. this stuff. I was like, no, it's that's too violent. dramatic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I totally understand. There's something almost comforting when you're depressed. You're like, oh, it, I could just do right. that. If things get too bad, I'd, yeah. 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 I'm, I've had this. So I was like, oh, well, I'm always wearing a belt. So if anything gets <sighs> too, you know, I, yeah. I never don't not have that thing on me. Yeah, and I remember a time where if somebody would say that, I would freeze and want to fix it and make you better. And it's like, you know what? It's a thought, and you have to want to really talk or think about that thought differently or Mm -hmm. whatever way you want to do. So can't change you. Yeah. Um, When when was your first experience with depression and feeling that way? Can you remember? Oof, I don't remember when there was it, but I don't remember a lot of my childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, I just know that whenever I got sad, I didn't really know a way out. Mm -hmm. So part of my ways out was to write, uh, and that helped me. And then I would also, if I thought that my parents weren't hearing me, I would write them a letter Mm -hmm. and say, like, this is 
this is why I got upset. This is, you know, why I think this is not, you know, called for or justified, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I hope that you reconsider, you know, in smaller words or whatever. But I don't know if that changed anything, but it did for me. Like, now I'm heard, you mm-hmm. know, like, I don't know if you can hear my words or, you know, sometimes they act like there's a language barrier and I'm like, well, I'll say it in Hebrew because I could speak that language too. <laughs> so you can't mess with me in that way. Yeah. So writing has always helped, but in a way, depression... Um, helped me (laughs) like I I think I thought it helped me because Mm -hmm. it almost justifies how bad you feel well it's like I'm if I feel sad in order to get better I have to do all this work and it sounds fake and it sounds like I'm gonna have to go to like a cult or say all these phrases and it's you know what I'm right things suck (laughs) I'm just right (laughs) Yeah, there is that unfortunate statistic floating around of like, oh, people with depression are more objective. Like they see the world more as it is than people who aren't. And and that's really hard to argue, yeah. except that the more I learn about our brain, mm-hmm. the more we actually decide what our life is like. The more yeah. we're, we're all right. Everybody's right. So life does suck. You're absolutely right. I'm not going to try to convince you otherwise. But when I tell you that life is good, I'm right too. So it's... For me now, it's about making sure that I look for the right stuff, not just the wrong stuff. Because looking for the wrong stuff, I could spiral a lot faster. Looking for feeling good might take a little bit more work, but after some practice, it doesn't. You sort of like, there's a habit for me of being depressed, and now there's a habit for me of looking for what's really happening. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe nothing's happening right now. I'm just feeling bad. So to really go, what is happening right now? Is my life in danger? Is a train coming at me right now? No? Okay, then maybe I don't have to do anything. Maybe I don't have to feel anything. Maybe I could take a break. Yeah. Um, how did you break those habits? Um, I think Al-Anon helped. And I think... What is that? So do you know what AA is? Yes. Okay, so Al-Anon is sort of for the the people who are affected by alcohol or addiction I see. but are not necessarily the addict. I see. So we're, it's sort of like we're addicted to people. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, and I just, I, I went into that and it, it scared me a little because it seems very cultish. They have, you know, these phrases and this like mm-hmm. one day at a time thing. But really the, the biggest thing is take what you want and leave the rest. And I don't think I've gotten that, not from my parents, not mm-hmm. from like, you know, I think the biggest thing that you can come with to me with is take what you like and leave the rest. Like we don't have to like every aspect of everything. We could just kind of leave it. There's that and uh, weed, honestly. <laughs> sure. Yeah, if, and and I I would completely think that this was a joke before yeah. I was a pothead. But when I first started smoking, it was a silly thing. I would laugh my head off and then mm. fall asleep. Then I used it to fall asleep because my head just kept going at night, mm-hmm. and I would stay up until all hours and not be good in the next day. So weed would just kind of like slow my brain down and I would just fall asleep. Mm -hmm. Then as you smoke more, or at least in Mm -hmm. my uh, experience, I learned how to get inside my brain. I would trip on these ideas and I would say, you know, hey, my parents were so mean. And then I would like sort of go down this road of who are my parents anyway? Are they mean? And then I would, I would see things more from their perspective and then like start crying i'm just on my own just thinking about it and going oh i get it Mm -hmm. and stop taking it personally and not be as sad about it and just understand that they're human beings and adulthood is just being a child with responsibility (laughs) so 
So I just would kind of like forgive people left and right. And then mm-hmm. and then I'd carry that perspective even when I'm not high because it gives me access to that. So mm-hmm. that helped. And then also three years ago, I was diagnosed with a tumor and had to get open heart surgery. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so then I actually was afraid that some of the work that I did would um, backfire. I know you. it's very hard to be a patient. I know that people get angry when they have like big diseases or big things to go through and I don't blame them you're being zapped you're being poked you're being opened up so I actually started looking up how to be happy to make sure that Mm -hmm. if I have a choice that I can take it that way and I learned a lot yeah TED talks are great podcasts are great and books are great and I really started to have more of a grip on on how I think and where I decide to go in my thoughts and that really helped a lot so I stayed very positive around that whole medical scare even though during that mm-hmm. while I was healing I caught my husband cheating oh my gosh and had to deal with that oh, and this I was like a play wow yeah, yeah and then I and then I busted my leg and couldn't ride my bike like the last three years have been these giant challenges and mm-hmm. but when I think about the last three years I think of them as joyous and I think of them as because when I just think there was no reason to go down so hard yeah even though I was it, it the, the tumor was less hard than the, the marriage because uh-huh. I really was brokenhearted about that. Um, but I, I already had put these things in place for when stuff like that would happen. And even though it was like, uh, I know I'm supposed to text someone because there's, there's a theory to never worry alone because mm. then you're just only in your thoughts and you only have worries. So you're just increasing those. So if I just text someone like, hey, do you have a second? Even the act of texting that person, I try to text like two or three people so I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, hey, that person's not available so I'm just going to be by myself. Yeah. Just that practice to not isolate myself even though I really want to, mm-hmm. um, to get out of my head just a little bit so that I can start spiraling the other way, that helped me a lot. Yeah. How um, was it with the situation with your husband ex-husband what's that going on there uh we haven't been together for over a year okay but the paperwork's not in ah, but as far as i'm concerned so I'm divorced. Weird, yeah, yeah weird limbo state legally legally yeah yeah but emotionally not so much right because mm-hmm. we've been together for nine years legally married for three mm-hmm. but i say nine years so mm-hmm. legal schmeagle <laughs> you know i know my feelings yeah yeah what uh, was your question yeah Sorry. no worries well what was that experience like like I would imagine there was a certain level of grief to it. Oh yeah, it was pretty dark. Um, the thing I so I found that he was uh, soliciting women on Craigslist. Oh wow! While in a hotel. <laughs> wow. And I didn't break up with him when I found that out. Mm. Um, I was very empathetic to the things that he was going through. He was saying he needed a lot of attention, that he didn't touch anybody, and the blah blah blah. And I was so confused and what I didn't realize is it hadn't just been the cheating I've been being he was gaslighting me a lot at the Mm -hmm. time so I was already so confused that even though this seems black and white in hindsight like you caught him Mm -hmm. this is very you know normal to break up with somebody because of this everyone would you know be on your side I was like what should I do I really didn't know so so confusing that you know, I had to remember, well, now I got to take my time because a lot of things are falling down and I don't need to make all the decisions at once. So mm-hmm. I tried to just do the best I can, but I was moving slower and I wasn't taking on as much. And I, 
you know, you just kind of like lose yourself a little bit, but I was trying to keep the thread going. Like if somebody asked me to hang out, I would, but maybe I wasn't as active being hanging out. And also being a podcaster, especially five days a week, a lot of times we have five guests a week. So that rotation of needing to talk to people on a logical level and meeting new experiences and being able to talk openly on a show, I I didn't reach the darkness that I could have reached. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm, I had thought, but it was it? dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine. That sounds like a really rough thing. Oh, right. You mentioned the gaslighting thing. Mm-hmm. How did you figure out? Because like, when you're in the middle of it, you don't notice it. It's like a frog in a pot sort of thing. How did you come out of that? I stopped. The thing is, is whoever's gaslighting you will never tell you the truth, but you keep wanting it just from them. Mm -hmm. So I'd be like, hey, this doesn't add up. And he'd tell me something else. And I would just stay in confusion. Once I started telling other people, Mm -hmm. as soon as you say it to another human being, some light sheds, you know, you just you hear yourself saying it and you can hear it not being right. So, um. I started saying it in Al-Anon. I started sharing it with friends, you know, and, and that's unnerving because you you don't want people to give you advice or tell you what to do because your head's swimming with I don't know what to do. So you just want the truth to be there. Mm-hmm. So it was very helpful to just go, I just need to tell you because I don't know where else to put this. And it was nice, like the people who just heard it and said, wow, that sucked. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been through therapy? I tried. Um, I so I've been to a lot of like firsts and seconds yeah. with therapists, mm-hmm. and I don't want to sound like a snob. It just didn't fit, and I I have been using Al-Anon as therapy, okay, um, which is just a group therapy sort of thing. I haven't given up on one-on-one, but it hasn't hasn't clicked for me yet. It's kind of yeah. like finding a boyfriend, I think. Absolutely, yeah. So not everyone wants to go on dates all the time, <laughs> so that's kind of where I am yeah um and coming out of the other side of the separation had had that how long did that period of like being up basically upset last and was it um exacerbated or made longer by the underlying depression do you think um the underlying depression I think was not I don't I don't consider okay. myself a depressed person anymore which is okay. really amazing to say and I really do mean it I don't get manic and I don't get depressed I get um, a reasonable level of excited and I get more excited than your average person but I'm not out of control of my body and I'm not like making rash decisions because I'm excitable you know I -hmm. I think you know and Mm -hmm. I I get sad but I don't get depressed I get Mm -hmm. excited but I don't get manic so that's good but um did you have any issues with uh, mania or do you think? I was never diagnosed, oh. but every time something bad happened, I would suddenly have like a length of time mm-hmm. where I was just killing it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I was like in the best health and just running around and like I'm doing all this exercise and yeah. I wrote a book and you know, uh-huh. it's very encouraging because I'm like, life is good. I made a good decision. I'm going to go forward. And then mm-hmm. I would hit a wall and just, you know, you, you can't go around sadness or any feelings mm-hmm. eventually it'll you'll hit the wall you know so it's better to go through it do so now it's like I'm sad and I'm crying well I'm at home and you know no one's around or a friend is around so I'm just gonna cry yeah and then when I allow myself to do that I'm not crying for hours I'm actually just crying for five minutes 
and being reasonable about it. And if I'm crying for hours, then that's because caught my husband cheating and I have to make a new life that I would. Yeah. So, hey, I'm crying for a few hours. And this forgiveness of like, this is a major emotion. So have a, you know, a reaction that is fitting should not beat myself up about that. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. It sounds like you have learned a lot of self-compassion and you mentioned like TED Talks and podcasts. Are there any specific ones that you would recommend? I really honestly Googled how to be happy. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I think it's a perfectly good place to start or like uh-huh. how to have intimacy is like, is such a more sophisticated question that I had to listen to a whole bunch of stuff and read a whole bunch of books before I could even Google that. Mm-hmm. So what, what I like to do is get myself around the language that I want to do. So like if I don't know anything about being happy, then let me get myself around people who genuinely are happy, hear their language. Let mm-hmm. me get professionals who have talked to people and, and, and realized like how physically and how emotionally you could be happy. Let me hear that language and then it'll seep in. Just like if you're hanging out with people who are only saying bad things yeah. and only only doing bad, like your bad things are going to happen. So I want to stay in the language of what I want and stay surrounded by the things that, you know, make me feel good and motivated. And then it really just comes with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was it like writing a book? You've written a couple, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's so funny to me. I'm like, oh yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's like a lot of achievements. It's like um, when you're done with it, you're like, okay, I wrote a book, but if somebody told me you were going to write a book, sure. you know, because the process ends up being what your experience is. Mm-hmm. And it was incredible because both books I wrote with Keith, um, yeah. uh, my co-host of Keith and the Girl. And when we first, we got a book deal and now two people are writing one book and we didn't know how that worked. Like, do you write a, a word and I write a word? Do you write a paragraph and I write a paragraph? <laughs> I'll do all the commas. <laughs> So I didn't, I didn't really, so the first day that we tried to work together, yeah. I was like watching him type and, you know, telling my opinions as he's writing. Mm-hmm. We were both just kind of like, ew, <laughs> get away from me. Like, is this what writing, and, and it was a little, we were like, yeah. oh no, we have a book deal. They gave yeah. us money. Like, we're going to have to find a way to write together. And we did. The second mm-hmm. time we were like, obviously nobody wants to look over somebody's shoulder. Yeah. So we found a rhythm and... At the time, we were still trying to, like, launch what podcasting is. Like, Mm -hmm. how do we keep making money? So we would do the podcasting thing all day, take a nap, wake up at, like, 2 a.m. and do a writing session. Wow. And it felt great. Yeah. We both like writing very much, and we we found a way to edit each other that was actually fun and Mm -hmm. um, help each other write in each other's voices and find funny because the first book was a a comedic book. Mm -hmm. and. So it was just another expression, like podcasting really helps with that. It helps you, you know, communicate. Like Keith and I used to date when we yeah. first started it. So we would get into fights and off off mic, he would just shut down. Uh, On mic, I'm like, no dead air, bitch. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we'd find a way to talk to each other. <laughs> uh, I might use that technique now. <laughs> oh, that's so good. You, Yeah, you were dating and then you stopped dating and you still had the property to continue the podcast to continue. Yeah. What was that transition like? Um, I think we were both worried the most to lose the podcast and that's what kept us the most civil and the most mm-hmm. most professional and the most adult because I think otherwise, you know, when you break up with someone, just get it out of my face for a little while and yeah. we couldn't do that. So we had to really in order to keep the show, we had to be very 
good to each other on, mm-hmm. on a very specific level. And I think that was good. It was to me, it was like we needed to break up. Well, both for both of us, we needed to break up a lot earlier than we did. So it was a good thing to break up. But we realized we stayed together for the baby. Mm-hmm. So um, Keith and the girl was this fantastic thing that we did together that we really click on. You know, the on-air sign would turn on. We'd crack each other up. We'd tell each other stories. We're talking about our day. This is very intimate stuff mm-hmm. if you think about it. And it makes you very close. And then off-air, we were very disinterested and very like, <laughs> what are you still doing here? Yeah. You know? <laughs> I've already heard about your day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need to talk to you. And this yeah. isn't even the funny version. So, <laughs> and you're still talking. <laughs> so, um, I think we really, you know... Being so fun one hour every day, I don't think regular couples get that. So we didn't break up because it's like, no, this is like the coolest person I know. Yeah. I'm going to keep together with him. We found a way to be fun on air and like not need that other stuff and move mm-hmm. forward. It took a while. It was like, it's an ebb and flow. I think anyone who had a best friend or mm-hmm. a lover for a long time or whatever it is, your mother, your father, like you have to take care of yourself and that other person in very specific ways and if you're not going to be an adult about it you lose it and that's fine sometimes if you are an adult about it you lose it too so just be genuine and the right thing will happen otherwise you're going to be not genuine and that thing will happen anyway it'll just surprise you and devastate you in a way that you shouldn't be surprised and devastated was there um in your mind during that time like any like when you're seeing someone you've just broken up with, a lot of the time the impetus is to try and get back with that person. Was there any temptation oh, no. to try? No, no, never. For neither one of us. I think yeah. when we both started dating other people. See, people ask us that because it's like, well, yeah, then yeah. did you realize? And we're like, no, we kind of felt bad for that other person. <laughs> we basically <laughs> we had a better you than me sort of uh-huh. feeling for that person. Uh, and since we were both in that space, it yeah. was nice. Yeah, cool, 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 cool. Because I know. I know that would be so weird, hard for me, because I'd be like, well, you're still right there, and I still like you a lot like that. I don't think we like yeah. each other like that anymore. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. I would assume not, because it's been, what, uh, like 15 years. Since our breakup, yeah. it's been like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think the podcast changed tonally? I think we changed as people, because okay. 15 years ago, we were 15 years younger. So I think, you know, what if you're listening to us 15 years ago, mm-hmm. we have different opinions. We've evolved. Like, a lot of us are not saying words we used to say. Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah, so, and, and maybe I had a more harsh opinion because when mm. you're younger, you're just like, well, just do it right, you yeah. know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, and, like, do you think it the tone of the show switched after you broke up? Like, or was it still just as fun and silly and open? Well, we didn't tell people that we were broken up for a long time. And so that the fact that people weren't like, why is the show broken? Good. Is, I think, I think it was an indicator. Mm-hmm. So I think we were always good on air, like mm-hmm. always good on air. I think we got really lucky. And for some reason, we click in this way that mm-hmm. feels really good. Glad. Um, you mentioned that doing the podcast made you more open. Um, what specifically, like, why specifically do you think that happened? Um, because whatever you say, someone will be like, yeah, that's me too. Mm -hmm. It's like, right, why was I embarrassed by that? I made a choice, I made a decision, it was the time, maybe now I know there's a better decision, but what am I really embarrassed by? Like, people thinking a certain way about me, 
So that shed a lot. Like, it really helped that Keith has a big mouth and is an idiot. Because, <laughs> for example, one time he let out that I had an abortion. Uh-huh. And this is before, like, people were like, I had an abortion too. You know, it was, like, very shameful. And and I don't know that I wanted to bring that up, but he thought I had already. And uh. so we're live. We do the show live. And I was like, all right, well, since you already said, I'd like to tell the story instead of yeah. just leaving it. And then I was like, in fact, I had two abortions. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, and it was very emotional. Mm-hmm. And then I got maybe one or two things that were like, that's not right. But everyone else was like, yeah, you mm-hmm. made the decision. I made the decision. You know, this is a right that we have. And then when I learned more about abortion, I'm like, oh, right, I didn't kill a baby. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't murder someone. Mm-hmm. Like, legit, that it just happened. Yeah. So. Was that difficult to go through having an abortion? Was oh it God. complicated emotionally? That's the thing when people are like, well, these women are just having abortions. No one's just having yeah. an abortion. It is, I was very sad after that because yeah. I, I was working with kids and I'm like, do I like kids? Like, yeah. is this a decision that people who like kids makes? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, being pregnant actually right away, I, I was falling asleep on my couch. My boobs hurt. Like, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my God, this is in the first trimester. This sucks. <laughs> so like physically you're going through something emotionally. Yeah. You're also like, you know, what did I do to myself? Yeah. I'm, I'm not being adult about this. Um, and, and I didn't want to deal with being awake through the abortion. So I paid extra to put myself under, but yeah. I heard abortions uh, hurt. Yeah. So for 15 minutes, sometimes, for 15 minutes, somebody is up in you. Yeah. While you have to keep your legs open, and they are removing something. You know, it's it's a procedure. It's, yeah. And they're not numbing you. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I couldn't handle it. I went under. And then afterwards, you're slower, and stuff is coming out of you that, you know, they forgot to warn you about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's. You know, nobody wants to go to the doctor and now you are, you know, but I'm not going to have a baby because you're uncomfortable with the thing that I have to go through. Yeah. It sounds like you've had a fair amount of like medical procedures. Is there any? Ah, It sounds like that now that we uh, summarized it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Do you ever face like anxiety going to like Uh, going into those sorts of situations? Well, because I talk about it so much, Mm -hmm. I'm able to. Like, I, th- I think that lets the anxiety loose. And I also mm-hmm. have a lot of support. Like, listeners were writing in. And it's, it's very hard to be sad when people are like, don't worry about it. You know, like, <laughs> this will be okay. Every once in a while, you're like, well, it's not okay. And then you're like, yes, it is, you know. Yeah. So my parents were pretty messed up about it. Like, when sure. they found out, they were in the States, and they didn't bother uh, calling. My father knew and waited until they got back to Israel to tell my mother kind of thing because he didn't want to deal with it and was when I was in the hospital stuff like that was like that's what I'm dealing with but open heart surgery I didn't have to do anything you know so, <laughs> you just lay there yeah and then when I woke up people were like you did such a good job and I'm like yeah good on me I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I think I just laid here <laughs> and people help with the show like mm-hmm. Keith did two months of shows without me comedians incredible comedians um some that you've had on your mm-hmm. show came and co-hosted for me you know there was like this system that I felt like you know for 20 years I didn't have for 20 years of my adult life I didn't have any medical issues and now I have a giant one but you know what I've accumulated enough like friendships and connections that I'm not alone in this and 
these guys have done open heart surgery and yes my case is like one in a million or whatever but it, it made the doctors excited about it I got nervous the night before I'd never been in surgery before not like that so I I got nervous the night before like wait that's not what I want to do tomorrow and then I was like no you can't start thinking about it now <laughs> and you know I cried a lot like I saw the anesthesiologist before I went under and he's like well when you wake up you'll have this you'll have this and you'll have this thing down your throat yeah. that will keep your mouth from blah 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 and I just started crying and he's like what and I'm like oh, I don't want to wake up with that yeah and he took it out before I woke up <laughs> he's like I made sure I took it out because I knew how long I'm like well if that's an option you should probably give it to other people <laughs> but it was you know like when you when you say what you're worried about instead yeah. of like being upset by yourself maybe there's another option mm-hmm what do you think the biggest piece of advice you'd give to somebody who is facing adversity in the ways you have? Um, it's hard because I think, like, you know, maybe don't look for advice. Mm. Look for, it's so corny, look for what the good really is. Like, yeah. you know, I had a giant tumor. I could have died, but here I am alive. Mm-hmm. And if I died, I died. Yeah. You know, I did yeah. some stuff like we're all gonna do nothing's it. Nothing's gonna happen. <laughs> but I would say, um, face it, you mm. know, and and tell someone because I think the the worst part is worrying alone. So just if you can find a way to not worry alone, if you can tell um, a stranger, you know, in in an anonymous room, or if you mm-hmm. can tell a therapist, because if you're just keeping that in, it'll seep out some other way, and that's gonna be even worse. So. Be in communication about your feelings so you can have that language so that you can not grasp in the dark but reach for something that you really want so that you can know what you want. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Yeah. And I want to thank you very much for doing this program. It's been wonderful speaking with you. Thank you for having me. Then I'll be done.